You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. We had Doug yesterday. We've got a couple more guests coming up this week. And yeah, it's an important week this we, week. It is an important week. And we promised you that we would have John Fokey. And I understand why people might not believe us because we often do not fulfill our promises. But he's here. <laughs> John Fokey is here, the radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets, also host of Banter from the Booth. John, thanks so much for joining us once again, man. How are you? Hey, it's it's great to join you guys. Uh, it's great to catch up. I'm sorry I missed Doug. Uh, I was looking <laughs> forward to uh, to talking to Doug a little bit, but um, no, I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm glad it worked out to be able to join you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, one person at least misses Doug around here. I think that's one for three. We got <laughs> exactly, enough of them. Yeah, exactly. We've had enough of them over the last two days, John. <laughs> it's been, it's been well, too the much. Funny thing is, like, the funny thing is, you know, listening to some of the lockdown and all of a sudden Doug comes in giving a, like giving an update or something uh, like a scoreboard update or a, uh, or a news flash or something. And it always takes me by surprise. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought, what, what am I listening to? Why, why am I hearing this guy? He's it's, everywhere. I, I forget about him actually partaking in the ads now. Like I forget about him actually updating <laughs> for the podcast network. How is it that he left our show, but got a bigger role within the podcast network? Like he acted He's got like a good agent. Yeah, he does. he does. Well, he <laughs> acted like he was leaving the show and that he wasn't going to have as much time anymore. But in reality, it's for bigger and better things. That's what happened with Doug. <laughs> and now here we are. But anyways, we still have a good opportunity to talk with John Fokey here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We're happy to have you. And uh, we wanted to ask you real quickly, just I know on your podcast, Banter from the Booth, John, you've had quite a few guests to talk about the NBA restart, how it's going in the bubble, maybe some of the expectations that some of your guests have had. What are some things that have stood out to you with some of the episodes that you recorded and uh, some of the guests that you've had on? Well, I think it's pretty interesting. Like, obviously, as a broadcaster, one of the uh, the biggest questions that I have is, how are you covering this? And, and what is it like? And so, you know, recently, I talked to a couple of friends of mine from different parts of the NBA, Pat Boylan, who's uh, kind of a dual role, very similar to a role that, that I had back in Minnesota. He's the studio host for the Indiana Pacers, but he's also the television voice for the Indiana Fever of the WNBA. And so, you know, it was interesting to get his thoughts on balancing, you know, doing W one game or W one night NBA the next and, and trying to get to know players because they had a lot of turnover on their, on their women's side, trying to get to know players through these different zoom calls and not through your traditional ways of, talking to somebody after shoot-around, catching up with somebody after practice, uh, those types of things. And so it was really interesting to hear, number one, how he's preparing. And he, he talked about like having to prepare so much in advance because I think he had a string of maybe 14 out of 15 days with a game, either an NBA game or a WNBA game, and he's probably still in the midst of it. So, you know, baseball baseball broadcasters would laugh at us, but on the NBA, WNBA side, you used to, you know, maybe three and four nights, five and seven occasionally, but uh, nothing like 15 straight days or 14 out of 15 days. So uh, that was really interesting. And then uh, Daniel Salerson, I chatted with him. He works for the New Orleans Pelicans, and he sent me a picture 
of their broadcast setup and what they've got. So they're at Smoothie King uh, Arena, and basically they're at the platform where they normally broadcast. But everybody's got their own table, so they're super spread out. You know, there's their announcer, their analyst, their engineer, uh, and Daniel's up there as well as the studio host. And so everyone's got their own six foot table, and they've got monitors uh, that have a game feed. They've got a stats stats monitor there. But then also the big center hung in the middle of the arena is playing the game. And so he sent me this video of the guys, you know, watching the game on that big screen, checking out replays on the smaller screen and trying to do a broadcast that way. And it was just fascinating um, to see kind of how they're adjusting to it, how they're making the best of it. And, you know, I think back to a couple of months ago when we didn't know if it was going to be 22 teams, if it was going to be all 30 teams. And I sat here at my kitchen table and pulled up, you know, some of the league path games uh, that, that were broadcast by uh, by Fox Sports Southeast and pulled out my notes and everything and tried to practice calling games off of a monitor. And it's really different. I mean, you, you're so beholden to the camera angles that it's not like when you're sitting there calling a game and you can look and, and kind of look away from where the ball is or some of these other things that maybe you would try to identify. And even just like the angle, too, when someone puts up a shot, you know, when you're there in person, you can kind of gauge whether it's getting there. Uh, but it's more challenging when it's two-dimensional. So uh, I applaud the broadcasters on the TV side, on the radio side, and, you know, everybody's making it work because it is very unique and everybody's adjusting. And I think if you if you listen to a lot of them and you didn't know that they weren't there, I think they've done a great job of trying to make sure that they're not jumping plays, not guessing, uh, so that you don't have, you know, a lot of corrections and stuff like that. But man, it's a challenge. And these guys are doing a fantastic job. No, I agree. Like I, it's funny. I did not expect to kind of be in a place where it it seemed normal to me. The, The broadcast after a while, and not even really all that long. They do seem normal to me. And I think that is a credit to the broadcasters. I think that is a credit to just everything that goes into the production. You mentioned calling it off of a monitor, John. Uh, we had Dan Schulman on a couple of, I mean, maybe it was a week ago or something like that. And he discussed how his setup for calling a baseball game, I don't know if you saw him tweet this out, but it was like, it was like, 15 monitors that had a whole bunch of different <laughs> angles wow. on it. it. It was just, it, I mean, it was insane to see, you know, I don't know if something would light up. Like he just had, was constantly looking at different things to call the game. I, I thought that was fascinating. Um, I wanted to transition uh, to the lack of a second bubble that we can expect, John. So the NBA doesn't look like they actually are going to up a, uh, open a second bubble. There was some reports that, um, one GM said there's nothing that's going to happen. And he would say it's a shame. It's a huge detriment to these eight franchises that were left behind. And there's even pessimism that the NBA will allow teams to hold mini camps in their cities. Man, Hornets just missing out. It, it seems, you know, the Hornets would be one of those teams. How detrimental do you think it would be, John, to Charlotte for uh, not being able to compete in any kind of competitive basketball? Well, I think it is, you know, number one, disappointing. And I think it was disappointing that, you know, they take 22 teams and that the Hornets ended up 23rd. I mean, look at, you know, Phoenix, right? Phoenix was a team that everyone's like, why? Why are they inviting Phoenix? And here's Phoenix taking advantage in the bubble. Like, these guys are getting better. They're, I think, at the, they're 3-0. and They're coming off a game winner against uh, the LA Clippers. Like, they've, they've been able to take advantage of that. And you think about, man, where the Hornets were when the league was suspended back in mid-March 
coming off that win against Miami. The defense was trending the right way. There was so much momentum and, you know, it just, it, it, it stopped. And so you don't have an opportunity to kind of build upon that. And so I know the guys are, are, are making the, the most of it. The coaching staff is making the most of it. Um, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to chat with Ronald Norad, one of the Hornets assistants coming up uh, later this week for a podcast next week, just about, hey, how do you handle the situation? What do these workouts look like? How much can you get done in these settings? And um, so, you know, I know the coaching staff and, and front office have talked about really wanting to get uh, something so that their guys can scrimmage and stuff. Um, and, and I think it's it's hard because it's such a long layoff, right? Like, I think if it really, uh, what is it? The training camp day was something like or November 10th. If it's really November 10th, I mean, that's like eight months. Yeah. And so, you know, guys, obviously you see videos of guys getting some run in and, and getting some workouts in and stuff like that. And, you know, everyone's trying to take the best precautions and certainly at Spectrum Center, uh, they're following all the NBA guidelines and, and you know, keeping the workouts to what the NBA rules and regulations are. And so, you know, the hope is that as we, as we move through this, maybe, you know, those, those restrictions open up a little bit and you can get some two on two, three on three, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I just really feel, I, I feel for the Hornets because of how they were playing the momentum, all the things that we talked about guys at the beginning of the season, uh, the team was focused in on those and you saw improvement in those areas and it's it's just tough not to be able to build upon that and and keep that momentum going. And like I was uh, I was so curious to see how Jalen McDaniel's got better. How Caleb Martin? I mean, think the last two games before season was suspended, how he could have gotten better. Cody Martin and and the impact that he was having. And then obviously the guys that we we've talked about quite a bit in terms of their development. PJ Washington's and. Miles and Devontae and Terry and, and Biz and Cody and all those guys. Uh, but that team was was starting to develop an identity of being a team that was tough to play against and and gritty. Um, and I mean it was it was fun. It was fun in those last couple of weeks as you saw that identity really come into being. And so I mean the hope is that much like last year, uh, when the guys were in the gym all the time working out, that you know, they they can take that leap. Uh, a similar leap from what they did last year to this year, uh, from this year to next year, despite these very unique situations. I have a lot more stuff I want to get to with John, including some of those positive things that the Hornets ended the season on before the pandemic actually hit us. But first, I want to tell you about my book. If you wanted to get in on a little action, just like you could have with that Nets and Bucks game that you saw last night, hell, maybe you knew that Mike Boonholzer was going to hold out some of his starters and the Nets were going to come up with the third biggest upset in the last 30 years. If you just would have put money on the money line with my bookie, think about all the cash you could have won. It's a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all all wrapped into one. I love it. You love it. And that's really all you should uh, need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all of your favorite teams. And with the NBA in full force, there's never been a better time to start playing. They don't stop at basketball either. So you might as well get your baseball bets in while you can. If you're a Hurricanes fan, they're going to the Eastern Conference. Also get your bets in on the NHL as well. Get your baseball bets in again. Um, there's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today in my bookie 
will match your deposit 100%, plus they'll toss you a free $10 NBA future wager. All you got to do is enter promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. We have more with John Fokey coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. I'm, I'm a little. I listen. Hold on. I, now, see, uh, I, we couldn't just blow by that one. Well, you had because this, this is what frustrates me. You know, I'm uh-huh. under the weather. You know, I'm not at 100 percent right now, and you're you're just taking it to me. You're like one of these people that knew Nick Batum had a hand injury, and they were just slapping his hand because it's like we're gonna get, we're gonna knock this guy's hand because we know he's injured, and that's what you're doing to me right now. But I just want to say, Sam, if you're listening, you're more than a numbers guy. You have heart. You have soul. You have agency. You are a person. Love you, Sam. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Here with John Vokey, radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets. And John, I wanted to talk about some of the other, some of those positives that we were mentioning. And and I know you tweeted out about this. We're thankful that you were listening to us discuss James Borrego and that player development, as you mentioned, some of those players there. You know, what was something that maybe you noticed from maybe one individual player you thought was particularly noteworthy, how much he improved throughout the season? Was it a collective group? Was it just the defense overall? Was there something that you noticed maybe that last 10 games or so where we saw the Hornets not only beating these competitive teams, some of the better teams in the NBA, but they were doing so with the second rounders, the undrafted guys like Caleb Martin that was getting so much run early. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was, um, you know, obviously you can, you can pinpoint to each guy and you can say where they developed, but developing an identity as a team, I think was what, what really impressed me the most. And, you know, I was going back through some, some numbers and some notes from, uh, towards the end of the season, when we look at those those last ten games and the way that that team played, and some of the numbers that jumped out and just the trends, obviously the defense. And you're talking about like holding Toronto, I want to say under 100 points, and that was an overtime game. And the fact that uh, the Hornets were so balanced in clutch time, obviously Terry uh, Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, they had the biggest scoring numbers. But in that uh, in that Toronto game, Miles Bridges hit a huge shot. Uh, you go back to the Dallas, the overtime Dallas game, and it was Terry Rozier had a big three, but it was off a miles driving kick uh, to a left wing three. And PJ Washington was big in clutch time. Biz had some big clutch time plays against Dallas. And um, in the double overtime game against Atlanta, you had Caleb Martin hitting some big shots. Obviously, Rozier was huge in that game. Devontae against Miami. Uh, the way he helped close that game out, we think of Devontae as, you know, this three-point shooter, but here he is driving, and uh, I, I want to say, like, the the nail-in-the-coffin type play was an and-one where he drove on the left side, took contact, kissed it off the glass, and then went to the free-throw line. Um, so, you know, there was just this, there was this balance, this great balance on the offensive end and this collective effort on the defensive end that made this team so difficult. And so I I really feel like those two things were what stood out to me most in terms of collective development of that group. John Fokey with us uh, on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. John, I want to transition into the way that the Charlotte Hornets, the entire organization has really emphasized the Black Lives Matter movement and also the fight against social injustice, not only from, you know, just Michael Jordan donating just a ton of money to charities that might benefit um, African-Americans here in the country, but also just the way that Spectrum Center, 
opened up as, or is trying to open up as a uh, early polling place. Just a lot of things that the Hornets have been involved in. You know, what's it like to be a part of an organization like that that is extremely socially conscious right now? It's it's really cool, and and the conversations that we have in in meetings and uh, all staff meetings to department meetings. I mean, there's always there's an emphasis on that, and and there's a, a transparency and an openness and. Um, it's, it's really been, been a lot of fun to be a part of that and learn, especially for me, not knowing, uh, the city of Charlotte, as well as, you know, some of my counterparts that have, have been here for, uh, many, many years and, and for those who grew up here. And so, um, it's, it's been eye opening for me. It's been great conversations with, uh, with folks from all over the country, all over the state, uh, giving different perspectives on things. And then, you look at the uh, the week of service that the Hornets are in the middle of right now and how they're spotlighting uh, black black owned businesses and working with them not only to put the spotlight on them and, and the Hornets digital and video team have done a great job putting together uh, little uh, promos and uh, vignettes and pieces about each of these businesses, but also you know donating money to them and, and buying meals from them to go serve. Uh, to frontline workers, to to folks in need, to essential workers. So there's this great synergy kind of across all these platforms in that uh, you're supporting Black-owned businesses, you're, you're keeping that conversation going. Plus, you know, on the COVID side, you're helping folks that are impacted by that. So it's it's been really fun to get to know uh, some of these different businesses, some of these different leaders, and, and hear those things and be a part of it. Um, so, you know, I just... As, the Hornets, number one, but the NBA as a whole, how they've continued this conversation um, going back to getting back to basketball in the bubble. And I love how, you know, the players and, and the broadcast, they they don't gloss over it. It's not like, oh, yeah, they've, they've got, you know, Black Lives Matter written on the floor. OK, let's get back to the game. It's a continued conversation. If you watch the games, especially the nationally televised games. Uh, they they go to the sideline reporters and they continue that conversation. And then the post game interviews, uh, the guys are bringing up uh, Breonna Taylor. They're bringing up different uh, different issues that they want to bring to the forefront. Greg Popovich uh, has done that a number of times, as have a ton of players and coaches. So I just think it's fantastic what the Hornets are doing and and what the league as a whole is doing and continuing to do down in that bubble. Now, John, uh, one thing I did want to, I know it's kind of like really bad taste to ask about previous jobs, but you happen to be around Maya Moore. And mm-hmm. so you're coming from that organization. What is, what, again, what was being around Maya Moore like and just watching her transform and while she's giving up the game, what was that like? Well, I think, you know, just to go back to my time with the Minnesota Lynx and, and it really starts with uh, Lynx head coach Cheryl Reeves. Um, she, you know, took over in 2010 she changed the culture there. Obviously, they won four championships during that time. But I go back to 2016, and Philando Castillo was was killed in uh, St. Paul, in the suburb of, of St. Paul. And I remember we were at a shoot-around. I want to say we were in Connecticut. And after shoot-around, like, Coach gathered together the four captains, and they had a discussion. And Coach has always been – Coach Reeve has always been very vocal about – um, all sorts of social issues and she's on the front of it and not afraid to speak her mind and stand up and encourages and, um, you know, gives her, her captains, her team, uh, the opportunity to do that too. And so she and the captains had a meeting and then, uh, you, you go back to, or you, you fast forward, I guess, to the next home game 
And that was when the four captains stood up in the Black Lives Matter shirts and uh, wanted to start that conversation about uh, police brutality. And um, and it helped kind of spark things. And, you know, maybe it didn't go. It obviously didn't go as far as what we're seeing now in terms of, of keeping that conversation going. But uh, I just know that it was great to see her, you know, step up and empower the captains to use their voice, too. And those captains carried through. But obviously, you know, we see what Maya Moore is doing and we see what the WNBA as a whole is doing right now and has done over the last couple of years. Um, and, and what Maya Moore has done is is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, you're talking about a player who is maybe the best in, in the game and, you know, someone that as good as she was at basketball, and, and I know this sounds cliche, like she was an even better person away from that and had passions, you know, away from the court. Uh, that obviously came to the forefront and and brought her to you know where she is now, stepping away from the game for two years to work on prison reform, and that was something she was very passionate about. And uh, like anything, she throws herself into it, and and Maya Moore finds a ton of success. I think that was you know no surprise uh, that that Maya uh, and that family came out you know victorious in their fight. Uh, for Jonathan Irons in, in the prison reform. So uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating to watch. And again, I think both leagues have done a great job of continuing that conversation, keeping it going, using their platforms, and, and empowering coaches and players uh, to speak their minds and, and being open about it. And so, um, you know, I, I really hope that we do get to see Maya back on the court because she's an incredible talent. Um, but at the same time, what she's doing in the community um, and impacting lives is is incredible as well. Um, even if Nada decided to insult me and Doug in previous times we've had you on by asking about your old job, saying it's in poor taste, I'm going to continue to do it again. I want to ask you another thing about your old job working in Minnesota as it pertains to Kevin Garnett being reportedly interested in being a part of a group to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. And John, we've asked you about Kevin Garnett's stories. The guy is amazing just to hear some of the stories and what he was like um, on the court and even off of the court. But what would that mean for people in Minnesota to have KG not only just even, you know, associate with the franchise again, but be a part of it, like be a part of, of someone uh, of a group that is at the very top. What would that mean to people in Minnesota? Yeah, I think it would be fascinating. I mean, uh, and, and I know Walker, we've talked about KG in the past and, and his connection to uh, the twin cities, the state of Minnesota uh, and that Timberwolves franchise. And it was very similar, honestly, uh, to what Kemba Walker did, you know, here in Charlotte, like Kemba was drafted, he came to Charlotte and he made Charlotte his home, uh, gave back to the community. You could see him all the time uh, out and about and, and his impact, obviously, with the fans. There were a lot of similarities uh, between the two just in terms of how they came in and made that city their hometown. And, and fans identified with them. And certainly, you know, KG was in Minnesota a little bit longer than Kemba. And there's a whole generation of fans that – you know, became Timberwolves fans because of, of Kevin Garnett. And so, you know, having him in, in some capacity associated with the organization, I think uh, it would be huge for fans. It, it would be a ton of fun just to have him back because some of the greatest moments in Timberwolves franchise history revolve around Kevin Garnett. I would say most of the, the biggest moments in franchise history, uh, he's got his fingerprints all over him. And so, you know, having his energy, having his, uh, you know, his, his uh, 
kind of credibility as a Hall of Fame basketball player being uh, being brought back into the fold. I think it would be it would be huge. And, you know, just look at Charlotte. Right. I mean, they've got Michael Jordan as their owner, the greatest basketball player of all time. And think about how uh, that brings fans in and that that gets fans interested in the organization because they know of, of MJ's reputation. I think it would be the same way uh, with Kevin Garnett in Minnesota. John, last thing before we get you out of here, of course, we've all delighted in the marketing campaign that is S'more Graham uh, with Devontae and what everybody wants him to do, win the Most Improved Player of the Year award. You know, John, what's the case in your eyes for Devontae to win that award as we decide to uh, uh, as we decide on some of those awards as the season winds down? Well, first off, I want to give a shout out to Eric Collins uh, as the greatest infomercial, most improved player <laughs> pitchman in the uh, in the NBA. It was funny. <laughs> I, I watched that and I started laughing. And I remember back to, I want to say it was a, uh, just to go back to my, my other job, because we'll all just savage each other here. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> back, uh, I think it was Kevin Love's Rookie of the Year campaign. And we did an infomercial a bit like that as well that I got the voice. And it was Kevin Love's Miracle Glass Cleaner. And it was just a hoot. Like, I went back, I found it on YouTube, and I laughed. I sent it to Eric. And I was like, I love that both of us were infomercial pitchmen for uh, for our guys. But Eric did a, a tremendous job with that. That was super fun. I thought the campaign as a whole was outstanding. But the biggest numbers to me, guys, and I know like the competition, uh, Luka Doncic going from star to superstar, right? That is incredibly hard to do. I mean, he was phenomenal. His first year has been even better this year. You can make a great case for him. Uh, Brandon Ingram, the, the usage rate went up. You can see, you know, so the numbers across the board went up. His three-point shooting went up. That guy's having a huge impact on the team fighting for a playoff spot. Bam Adebayo is another one uh, that became an all-star this year, and his numbers went up. And Miami's a playoff team. I think you could throw Davis Bertans in there. Um, you know, he's going to be in the mix probably for sixth man of the year and most improved. But for me, the case for Devontae, number one, you look at the scoring. Um, going from, what, 4.7 points to 18.2 but it's, it's bigger than that. It's the impact that he had. And going from a second-round pick, you know, a guy that played 40, I don't want to say 42 games in the NBA last year and averaged 14 minutes a game to playing 63 this year and averaging over 35 minutes per game, uh, that's hard to do. Brandon Ingram, uh, Bam Adebayo, Luca, all those guys, they were allowed, you know, in the last year – to spend a ton of time on an NBA court, to learn from that, to grow from that. So when they have that type of experience, you would expect them to come in different uh, and, and grow that next year. Whereas Devontae, he had to learn from in the G League. He had to learn from his limited minutes, and the jump he took was was phenomenal. So I think it's, you know, with Devontae, it's a holistic look of, yeah, you can point out the scoring, that's the biggest jump, and and that's what stands out the most. But it's also ending up top 10 in assists. It's uh, going from the bench to the starting lineup uh, from a guy that maybe wasn't really on the scouting report because he didn't see a ton of them last year to number one with a bullet on the scouting report, how he adjusted. And yeah, there were some, you know, some ups and downs, some ebbs and flows to his game. But again, I go back to that Miami game at, at the end of the season, and here he is hitting threes. He's driving to the basket getting that floater to go, getting himself to the free throw line. So not only did he improve from year one to year two, but he improved and adjusted throughout the course of the season to find success 
uh, once teams did start to take away kind of his bread and butter. And so uh, I look at all those things, put them together and say, hey, this guy really is the most improved um, kind of across the board. A lot of fun, always talking, uh, always fun talking with John Fokey, who joins us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We really appreciate the time. Thanks once again, and uh, hope uh, you guys are staying safe, you and your family, and uh, hopefully you're still having fun watching the NBA restart, even if we're not able to be a part of it. I, I, I have not stopped watching the NBA restart. <laughs> it's, it's been fantastic. I'm so happy to have it back. Great talking to you guys. Thanks so much. It's always so fun. That was John Fokey, radio voice of the Hornets, also host of the podcast Banter from the Booth. You can find him on Twitter at JW Fokey. We'll recap some of the comments from John and talk a little bit um, about what we saw from the NBA yesterday. Some exciting games, some upsets to talk about coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. John, this is Locked on Hornets. You give me a new adjective. God, you're just messing this up. I, I, you know, I just I spend some time away from the show, and you're still the same old Walker. All right, yeah, give me a new adjective and give me a plural well, noun. I, well, I, I've already thought of my plural noun now that you mentioned it. How about, uh, well, I don't even know if this is plural. How about grape jelly? Does that work? Grape oh jelly is the noun I was going to get. A plural noun! This isn't hard! It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Always love having John on, man. And yeah, no, that was dope, man. Well, Seriously. What, well, what's cool about what's cool about John, even though you tried to sabotage that whole line of questioning that we had after the fact. How dare you accuse me of that? You did. You insulted us. It was what was on I slate. Insulted, no, hold on. It was. Uh, go ahead. I, 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 again, if you're going to if you're going to just defame my name on this, <laughs> what I all I did was I said it was poor taste. It is poor taste to ask a man who's happily moved on to an upgrade in his position about his old job. It is poor taste. That's what my mama told me. So are you going to tell me my mom is wrong? And don't my bring mom, mom talk, into this. Yeah, no. no. Nobody wants to talk about mom right now. Like, no, no I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to defame. You're not? That's her. what you're doing now. I'm not going to defame your mom. I'm only going to defame you. And uh, I bet, uh, I don't know if she would be happy about that, but this is what I'm going to do anyway. Okay, then. Um, I love having John on. Talking with, uh, talking about the Minnesota Lynx, man. Like, how about John? Dude, he's ready to talk about that stuff because here's somebody that works with the Minnesota Lynx organization. And mm-hmm. it, you know, Maya Moore has accomplished more on that end than any other athlete, especially that kind of talented athlete. And, and you know, I don't look as, as far as just playing in their prime, right? Yes. As far as how good you are at your sport being MVP type level of player where we're talking about maybe even best all time type of players to leave when you still could be out here winning MVPs to fight for prison reform, something that is bigger than continuing to gain fame as one of the best basketball players of all time. You know, John was around that John was around the head coach who was about that life as well. John was about uh, around the Minnesota Lynx and then coming here to the Charlotte Hornets where Michael Jordan, after all of the criticism that he's taken, he's quote unquote, got religion. You know, yeah, quote I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> and mind you, here's the thing. I, I'm still waiting for apologies from folks. Cause again, I, again, we said it on this podcast Jordan got a bad rap. Well, let's not act like Jordan hasn't been a lot more vocal within the last four years or so. Like, I think there was some stuff that was deserved to talk about, at least with his playing days. No, like, I think that was deserved conversation. No, I'm I'm not saying it's not deserved. What I'm what I am saying, though, is the man's come around and the narratives that have followed him up until this point, even uh, talked about as far as back as the last dance episode two, like those things are now dead. 
we have to stop again. They have to we have to dead those discussions because he's done more and quietly done more. And he's done the other thing is, and this is the really cool thing about Folky, and he brought this up before anybody again before we had a chance to. You see the Charlotte Hornets right now, just like putting black businesses at the front of the table, at the front of the discussion. And I don't think that's getting talked about nearly enough. And I, granted, we're probably one of the only ones to really talk about it that's doing anything Hornets related. So, yeah, and, and that's that's interesting. He brings that up too. Like he, he I mean, I, I really enjoyed t- talking with John, especially about the WNBA days, working with Maya Moore, at least being around Maya Moore during the height of that. I mean, he was there when Maya Moore decided to step away from the WNBA. And now here he is with the Charlotte Hornets as there's been another emphasis on Black Lives Matter. And Michael Jordan has ran with that. You know, yeah, all yes, the money that we've talked about. Like, and folks, it makes me proud, man. Like, yeah. screw it, dude. Like, it makes me proud. Like, yeah. that, that's awesome to have the Charlotte Hornets be a part of this and uh, and being out in front. He also mentioned some of the difficulties that come with calling a game during the pandemic. Man. Like it, it does, it does look crazy to try to call your game, to try to call a game from some of the situations that they have. Also, want to talk about Devonte Graham. You know, Kevin Arnovitz joined Rosinski and Yarborough yesterday, and we were talking about his comments this morning. He actually had Devonte Graham as uh, in, in second place for most improved player of the year award. And I thought it was interesting when Rick Bennell came out with that Charlotte Observer article, he polled 10 voters and only one came back with a third place vote for Devonte. I have been one that has talked about Bam Adebayo being my most improved player of the year. Yes. I just think being that good defensively, being that much of a facilitator, a dude that you can run your offense through, I, that's the guy I go with. But, I mean, Devontae deserves to be a part of this conversation just as much. It's not like I'm going to be angry if Devontae wins. I just am trying to be as objective as possible and look at this, and I, and I just land on Bam. But, man, it is pretty crazy to see Devontae Graham being that guy that improved so much where Kevin Artovitz says, you know, it was a coup, right? Like the, the yeah. fact that they were able to get him in the second round. And another thing about this is, you know, when they were, when Mitch Kupchak drafts these second rounders, not only are we getting maybe the nice rotation players, but to get a second rounder that is borderline all-star at the midway point of the season, that's crazy. Like it's one thing to find the second rounders that become rotation players for you, but to find the second rounder that actually might flirt with an all-star appearance in his career or two or three, who we'll, we'll see what the future holds. You know, that's the thing to get excited about with Devonte, And we, we need him to finish better at the rim. We need him to have a better floater game. We need him to shoot more consistently from the three because the second half was pretty bad, but they were still better with him on the court. He was still a really good facilitator. And you know, there's a plenty of reason to be excited about him, whether he wins MIP or not. Now I see. Here's the thing. I like, I'm one of those that doesn't believe that Devante deserves uh, again, MIP. I will say that, but at the same time, I put Christian Wood. I think Devante absolutely deserves to be top three. And I think, this is why, in a, in kind of a way, this is why them going down to the bubble was going to be so important to put people to put the Charlotte Hornets after Kemba Walker at least in a front facing position to where yes, there's some things to be excited about, and hey, this team does exist, and they're actually not that bad, despite everything that was thought about them before. So again, it, Devontae Graham winning was never going to happen, but at the same time. 
I really just wanted this team to at least get a little bit more shine for not necessarily being the the muck and mire that everybody expected them to be. <laughs> well, let's talk about that a little bit more because, I mean, you get to see Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns get this experience, which is something else yeah. John Spurs, brought up. The Spurs, too. Um, well, I mean, even we're just even just talking about young teams. Like, I don't, you know, the Spurs got some young guys. That's great. But even just, you know, Phoenix, uh, a team that is absolute void of production the yes. last three years, right? Or like what last five, six years, like they're constantly Closer in the ten. lottery. Yeah. You're probably right. I don't know why I did go decade. I don't know why I made that so hard. It's the past decade. They've been void of production, but to get Devin Booker, that kind of experience, you know, I saw Bobby Marks tweet this out. You know, he's saying how valuable it is for that shot to go down, to beat a team like the Clippers for Devo- uh, for Deandre Ayton and for, you know, Mikhail Bridges to be getting that kind of experience. It is valuable. And not, it's something we talked about when the Hornets were left on the outside, looking in, not having that chance to go compete against playoff teams. It, it sucks for their season to end the way it did. And I understand, like for me, I was pretty hard on it. I, yeah. You know, look, if you don't get into the playoffs and, 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 you know, if you have to be the 23rd team in, then I'm sorry, man. I, I, I find it okay. Like, that's fine with me that they made the decision they did. But something else I also said was the Hornets would have gained a lot of experience. Yes. They would have gained some, some real, some, some really good things from the, from the bubble in Orlando. And, I think that they could have been as competitive as any of the, like certainly more than the wizards and certainly with than the nets than with nets, what happened yeah. with them. And they're the ones that just beat the bucks, even with a bunch of really good players for the bucks, having limited minutes in that one. Like it, it, it does go to show you how detrimental this thing is going to be. In my opinion, for the Hornets to not have that kind of experience that the Suns are getting, that the Pelicans are getting and the Grizzlies are getting. Yeah. Honestly, like that's the thing that's bugging me about this the most now is the East, I think the East was kind of predictable to we knew Kyrie wasn't coming back. We knew, we probably knew Bradley Beal was not coming back. So the East, like, and this is where I hold this against the NBA kind of, because like the Hornets were right there. The Hornets could have made this a little bit more of an interesting race, even if they had to go, I don't know, six and two, seven and one to make this even somewhat interesting. But I would have liked to see them at least try. Because at some point, that again, you got to give these guys, you got to reward the small market teams, and you can't just like reward one or two at a time. You have to re- reward multiple of them. And again, I just feel like you didn't reward them, and now this is going to set back a whole, like you're going to set back an entire eight teams right now, and you've basically created the Premier League where teams were relegated before they had a chance to really get prove anything to them. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And now we're not going to get a second bubble. Now, I even the the minicamp stuff, that sucks. Like not I I don't I don't know how much time the NBA is actually going to give out. This is short-sighted the, by the NBA. This is incredibly short-sighted. Yeah, I I thought for sure, right? Like and and look, nothing's confirmed, nothing's official. It just is, you know, some reports, I believe Sam Amick was on it first yep. about speaking with one GM discussing how the second bubble isn't going to happen. And now it does seem like we're not going to get that extra time that coaches might be wanting, right? You know, in, in the form of, you know, whatever training camp, you know, whatever. That's what sucks about all yeah. of this. Like I was here for some kind of compromise, even if I understood the lack of a second bubble being, you know, pretty detrimental to the Hornets. Uh, the NBA, that shame on them for that, man. Now, and honestly, this is the thing. Like, and this is something that we talked about earlier, like a couple weeks ago. 
these guys are going to find places to play. It was on the NBA to provide them safe havens. Now you're going to have guys going to play with guys like Michael Beasley, who may or may not be coronavirus. Again, who may or may not have the coronavirus. You're exposing them because these guys are going to want to do something. And I'd much rather them play basketball than come up with something else to do at this this point in time. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Hornets. Thanks again for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Hollinger and Duncan. Uh, We are not going to talk about Cody Martin tomorrow. We have a guest. Uh, we have Betsy Mack of the Charlotte Hornets. Again, back-to-back Hornets employees. Lucky us, right? <laughs> there you go. Yes, we have a couple people that work for the Hornets. So Betsy Mack going to be joining us tomorrow, and then we'll get to Cody Martin on Friday. Uh, maybe Doug makes an appearance, too, just because he's going to try to find a way to infiltrate the podcast. I'm not sure, but you can never count him out, um, maybe even giving us a recording. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. always appreciate you guys supporting the show.